All right. Good morning, Desert Hills. How are you doing this morning? Everybody doing good? Uh, Pastor Adam called me this morning at the hotel and uh, had a word of prayer with me over the phone. And I told him that uh, he had uh, my complete forgiveness on uh, taking a little bit of a sabbatical, being there for his dad's retirement. And uh, I'm humbled at the opportunity to be able to be with you here at uh, Desert Hills Baptist Church here today. It looks a lot different than it did last time I was here. Um, and uh, I may see some familiar faces. I will need you to remind me of your name uh, because I've had COVID, and that means everything disappeared. And then also, um, I'm 50 years old now, so I can hide behind that one as well. So... Um, but we're thankful for the opportunity to be here. We're looking forward to the opportunity to be able to study God's word together. I do want to introduce to you my wife of 26 years. This is Lori Tevenkamp down here in the front row. And, um, you know, uh, she's, she's just my best cheerleader. She's, uh, uh, she was a professor's daughter when I was in college. And uh, I went to ask her out in fear and trepidation. And she said yes. And I found out two other guys were waiting to ask her out that exact same day. And I said, sorry, guys, I got there first. And um, so um, she's been a real great blessing. We have two kids, um, and we are blessed to have our two children. They're growing now. Uh, our son, Luke, is 18 years old, and he is off to college. They have, uh, uh, like I said, they've grown up a, a bunch in the recent days, but Luke is 18 years old, off to college this next year. He's been going to Faith Baptist Bible College, getting a two-year Bible degree, and he's uh, still a little bit looking for direction in life as to where he's going, uh, but that's okay. We really are thankful that he's willing to start off at a Bible college and get a good foundation for that. Our daughter, Anna, is 21 years old, and she is a fifth-year senior in college. Uh, she changed her major. She's elementary education major. Uh, she is single, and she is godly, so if that fits you... We get a little bit older. I'm, I'm thinking these arranged marriages actually were a good idea, you know. Um, and so um, she would be mortified if I was saying that right now. Um, but um, both of my kids are a blessing, and um, we're entering that phase of life where we're going to be empty nesters here in the fall, and uh, we're looking forward to that, but we're also in a little bit of fear and trepidation in that. And so we're thankful for how God is blessed, and we're looking forward to those things. Like I said, uh, I'm from First Baptist Church, or like I said, I was from First Baptist Church in Creston, Iowa. We have um, a town of 7,600 people. We are a farm town. 40% of our church is uh, in agriculture, beans or corn, or in livestock by way of uh, hogs or cattle, or we even have some ranchers and some uh, people who do horses and the rest. Um, our church is about 240 people. And uh, like you said, uh, our connection, uh, how we got connected uh, to uh, Desert Hills Baptist Church is through a great man named Pastor Bob Saucer. And Pastor Bob Saucer uh, got connected with Pastor Adam, and he connected us. And the last time um, we were out here, we kind of left the snow of, of uh, Iowa. We get this white stuff on the ground, um, and it gets a little colder there. Um, but we came out, and this is what the church looked like last time we were here. This is me standing out by the sign next to a field of sand. Um, uh, and, um, and we uh, came for the missions trip uh, for a homecoming uh, Sunday and handed out some of these door flyers. And, uh, and it's, it's great to be back. And, and I tell you, it's amazing to see what God has done by way of his blessing 
and his change and how he has grown uh, your church family and how he has grown our church family in these uh, 10 years that we've been in partnership together. And so we're thankful for that opportunity. Let's have a word of prayer as we uh, look to God's word here. Uh, here's a couple shots of uh, Homecoming Sunday, but let's have a word of prayer and look to God's word as we um, uh, get into this uh, passage here and uh, look to have some food for our souls. Father, thank you again for the blessing of being able to be here today, humbled at the opportunity to take your word now, and Lord, to understand and recognize that it's your truth that we need for this life. Uh, thank you for drawing our, our little country church together with uh, Desert Hills Baptist Church, and um, while we have a church that is looking at uh, celebrating the anniversary of uh, 150 years when it comes to the First Baptist Church, and and uh, even as the church looks forward to Pastor Adam being here 15 years, and um, Lord, it's just, it's just, when we look back on it, it's your hand. It's your blessing. It's your amazing love that has been poured out through Jesus Christ. And it's you building your church as you promised to do. And so, Lord, we're thankful for that opportunity before us here today. And ask your blessing on it now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, in ministry, uh, I've been in uh, full-time vocational ministry since 1995, and in ministry, you have all kinds of different circumstances that come about in, in ministry. And years ago, uh, we had a young lady that was formerly in our youth group, and she called my wife, and she said, um, my life is kind of falling apart, and I need a place to stay. And uh, she went on to explain to us that she had made some, some sinful and some wrong choices um, she had uh, become pregnant outside of, of, um, of marriage and um, uh, to a gentleman that was married, and he wanted nothing to do with her at that point. And she told her parents uh, that that was the case, and, um, and I'm going to tell you the, kind of the rest of the story here, and, and maybe this won't seem like it's such a shock to you, but it was just, it would just blew me away. When she told her mother and father that she was pregnant, her mom forced her into the car, drove her over to Illinois, and walked her into an abortion clinic and forced her to have an abortion. At 17 years old, on the way home, she got kicked out of the house. And that's when she called my wife and said, I have no place to go, I don't know what to do, and I just need a place to stay. And. Uh, she came to our home and lived with us for about four months until she moved on to some other things that God had opened up for her. And, um, and I tell you that all that because probably in your mind right now, you're saying something like this, like, that is, that is just messed up, Dave. That's messed up. Well, here's what's really messed up. Her family was a part of our church. Her mom and dad were members of our church. And on the outside, they had it all looking together like it was all put together and it was all fine and it was all a bed of roses. But inside the home was absolute turmoil. And it showed up in, in the story I just told you. You know, I don't know the circumstance that has brought you uh, to Desert Hills Baptist Church. I don't know what it's like when you're here at church and what it's like at home. But I, I tell you, Satan is not a... Uh, an, an enemy that is unwise. He, he knows if he can destroy the family, then he can have a way to destroy the church. 
And so I think it's kind of ironic that God uses the picture in Ephesians chapter 4 into Ephesians chapter 5 into Ephesians chapter 6, the picture of marriage, the picture of the family, to be a picture of the church. And he uses that to remind us of the validity and the, and the reason why we want to build on this strong foundation that God has given us in his word. So that when we come to a passage like we looked at here last week, and we're going to overlap here just a little bit this week, we find food for our souls, and we understand that God has his truth for us in our lives. And it meets us right where we're at. It meets us right in the middle of tragedy. It might, meets us right in the middle of our sin. It meets us right in the middle of, of what we're struggling with. And God's word holds those answers for us in those times. Can I ask you moms, dads, kids, teenagers, how's your family today? How is family? How are things at home? What's the spiritual temperature at home? What's the temperament at the end of the day? Husbands and wives, how, how is your marriage? Wives, how long has it been since your husband has said to you, I love you? Husbands, how long has it been since you've said to your wife that you love her? And how long has it been since you've demonstrated it with your actions? These are truths that God's word speaks to and speaks to implicitly because what we want to do is we want to build on the framework that God has given us in his word. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse number 21, we find out, and again, Pastor Cody covered this last week here, and we'll have a little bit of overlap. I kind of feel like that pastor who came to the church and he preached his message, and then the next Sunday, he preached the same message, and the next Sunday, he preached the exact same message, and then the fourth Sunday, he preached the exact same message, and this dear little lady comes up to him and says, Pastor, you're preaching the exact same message here. And he said, yeah, as soon as we start practicing that, we'll move on to another one, okay, all right? So there's gonna be a little bit of overlap here, and I'm not saying, Desert Hills, that you aren't adopting some of these things. I'm just gonna kinda come at it from a different angle, if that's all right. And Pastor Cody did a great job last week. If you didn't get that message, if you weren't here last week, make sure you go to the podcast and, um, and watch that and, and learn from that. He did a great practical message on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. We're going to dovetail that into Gen Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Why don't we go ahead and stand for the reading of the word, and then we'll look at these passages together here today. Follow along with me if you can while I read. I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21, and I'm going to go down, down through verse number 4 of chapter 6. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the word of the water by the word, that he might present him to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man has ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church." 
for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, like I said, we'll have a little bit of dovetail here and a little bit of overlap, but I want to go ahead and just summarize this passage for you if I can. And that would be this, reminding ourselves that the gospel always brings hope. And in this passage, you're going to see where the gospel like shows up in the marriage relationship between husband and wife and in the home between parents and children. And the gospel just intervenes at every corner. Somebody asked us one time, you know, what's the key to parenting? And I'm just going to tell you, the gospel goes a long way, okay? All right? I mean, when our daughter was little and she was tiny, um, my wife used to say to her, it's a good thing I can't understand what you're fussing about right now, because if you could verbalize what's going on in your heart right now, it would be pretty bad, okay? And, and, and the gospel is what it intervenes and it intersects and it comes to play and it transforms lives, in fact, that's what the Bible reminds us of here, and that is we, as we submit ourselves to one another, really this submission plays itself out in the intersecting of the gospel into our lives. So the Lord wants us to believers to build our families and our family relationships according to God's design or on God's foundation, if we use the same theme here. And we're going to answer that question or answer that statement kind of with a question of how. And how is understanding God's roles for family relationships. It's kind of the stay in your own lane, if you will, of God's design. And so in that, let's look at the first one here if we can, and that is simply this, that God's design for the family builds on the role, and watch this, and value of a wife. The role and value of a wife. When God created mankind in Genesis chapter 2, God brings Eve to Adam, and Adam makes this weird statement that goes something like this. It goes, this is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man, which is Hebrew for, I like her a lot. Okay, all right? That's what it is. Okay, all right? It means that, like, wow, this is amazing. Okay? And I'm reading between the lines there. I know just a little bit, but it's, it's pretty accurate, I think. Okay, all right? Adam was amazed because he had found out he was alone. Nothing was compatible to him. And God created Eve. And men, let me just say it to you this way. It's good for us to recognize this and recognize, yes, that the command here and the instruction here is to submit, which you understand is just a ranking underneath. It's not an unequal in value. It's an, it's an equality of roles. It doesn't give the husband the right to be a dictator. It's a simply placing oneself underneath. It's the same thing that Christ did when he went to the cross. And now watch this. Now the gospel has intersected to what we find here by way of the value of a wife, the role of a wife. And so there's a couple things here that are in your notes there, and I'll try to fill them in for you here. First of all, notice there the significance of godly submission, the significance of godly submission. 
Wives are given the instruction to submit yourselves to your own husbands. Notice, ladies, very carefully here, this does not say submit to all men. There could be a man that attacks my wife, and I would say to her, you don't submit in that scenario. <laughs> you fight back, claw back, scream, yell, you do everything in your power. That's not what this verse is saying, submit to all men. It says to your own husbands. So it's to your own husbands. That's where you find the significance. Letter B, the attitude of submission. The attitude of submission. The attitude of godly submission is this, is as unto the Lord. You say, wives, listen, this is hard for me to do because my husband and fill in the blank. Well, you take the my husband out of the equation and put in as to the Lord. If the Lord has instructed it, the Lord has enabled it, the Lord has given you the opportunity to do it. It's echoed in other passages in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, that the attitude is what God is after, and the attitude is the attitude that is unto the Lord. Let her see. We look at the reason. The reason for godly submission is because of headship. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now watch this. This is where the model of the home, the marriage, now intersects with the gospel, where Christ is the head of the church. Where does the church take the opportunity to walk outside of godly submission? It doesn't have that opportunity, does it? We always want to be submitted to Christ as a church. And so reflected in the relationship is the exact same. And then letter D here, the archetype of godly submission. If we're looking like the standard or the model of godly submission. For Christ is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. It's men, it's us going to the scriptures and understanding that Jesus says, and Christ said, and Paul said it in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, it's a close connect to that word submit, and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And so one, one here, we want to see the value and the uh, true value and the role of the wife. Now, a second, the design of God for the family is to build on the role and responsibilities of the husband. The role and responsibilities of the husband, okay? And uh, there was an uh, illustration that I had here, and it's a little bit longer. I'm going to trim it down here if I can. Dr. Carl Rogers wrote a book, um, Becoming Partners, Marriage and Its Alternatives, um, and it was written in 1973, okay? So this is a little while back. I think I was two years old when he was, wrote this book. But he says here that living together without marriage and living in com communes, extensive child care, serial monogamy, and... Uh, uh, with one, one divorce after another, a woman's liberation movement to establish a woman as a person in its own right, new divorce laws, which do away with the concept of guilt. These are all gropings toward what is some new form of a man-woman relationship in the future. And I would not take a, it would take a bolder man to predict what will emerge. Well, it doesn't take a bolder man to predict what will emerge, does it? It takes what God's word says what will emerge from that. 
1973, he was saying this, basically. Marriage doesn't work, we gotta find something else. But there's no alternative to God's design. There's no alternative given to God's design. God has given the design that has fit man and woman together uniquely and rightly in what is beautiful portrayal of who he is. And the reason it doesn't work for the unredeemed and it doesn't work for Christians who are walking in sin is because what? We're rebellious people at heart, aren't we? And that's why the Bible says in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28, that God created mankind, man in his own image, in the, after his own likeness, and he let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. But again, it's not that we have, or we're different in creation by way of equality, we're different in roles and relationships and responsibility. Just think for a moment in the book of Genesis, how did we follow God's design? I often say it to young married couples when they're getting married, you know, you have, you're coming into marriage, you're gonna experience uh, marriage, which God designed before the fall. You're gonna experience intimacy in marriage, which God designed before the fall. And you're gonna experience that in a broken world. So it's like even in marriage, we're trying to do, we're trying to do marriage God's way, but in a sinful fallen world. And it's tough, isn't it? Because you're a sinner and you're marrying a sinner and, um, and two sinners are trying to get it right. And this isn't like, you know, multiplication of negatives. Two negatives equal positive, you know, anything like that. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's tough. But God has given us grace to follow his design and to follow his plan for marriage. Just think about how, how we did. Okay, so Genesis had Adam and Eve, first marriage, then the fall of man. How did it play out in Genesis? First murder was brother slaying a brother, Genesis chapter four, verse eight. Lemek was a polygamist, that's Genesis chapter four, verse 23, and he departed from God's design of marrying one woman and for one man out of Genesis chapter two, verse 24. Ham looked at his father's nakedness, which had something perverse in, in by way of sexuality connected to it. That's Genesis chapter nine, verse 25. Sarah had an idea to conceive the covenant child. We would go ahead and have Abraham have adultery with her handmaiden Hagar and then resented that after Ishmael was born. That's Genesis chapter 16. In uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed those for sexual perversion, Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 and 25. And I just, sometimes I just think it's funny that some critics try to sit there and say, well, it wasn't sexuality that God judged them for, a perversion of sexuality. It was their inhospitability, okay? They were inhospitable people. And so God rained down fire on them and uh, destroyed them because they were inhospitable, okay? Um, I'm glad God's not raining down fire when I've been unhospitable in my house, you know? I mean, just, it was, if you don't think it was so, uh, a sexual sin, then why do we call the sin of, why do we call sexual perversion sodomy today? Chases itself all the way back, folks. Genesis 34 records Shemek's fornication with Dinah. That was Jacob's daughters. Genesis 38, Judah commits incest with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who dressed up like a prostitute. 
And in Genesis chapter 39, Potiphar's wife tries to lay it on uh, Jacob or Joseph when he's held in captivity. So just in Genesis, we have what? We have murder, polygamy, sexual perversion, adultery, homosexuality, fornication, rape, prostitution, incest, seduction. We're not doing very good. That's just Genesis. There's a lot more Bible to come. So that's why I think Paul, under the inspiration of Scripture, gives us the commands of what we're supposed to do in this life and how we're supposed to follow Christ in this life. And here they are. Number one, the command to husbands is the command to love. And that's sacrificial love in verse number 25, okay? It's the agape type of love, giving oneself for one's wife, giving as Christ gave himself. So if you wanted to find love, leave the fluffy, fuzzy feeling behind and capture it in Christ, which is giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Also men, we have a purifying love, number two there, verses 26 and 27. It's the idea that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the word. That's Christ to the church, but that's also husbands to their wives. Setting setting them apart, treating them as the, the, the precious vessel that they are. Christ does that so he can present a glorious church that's without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So it's a purifying love, men, that we want to model. It's also a caring love that we want to model before our wives and we, before Christ. It's a caring love because it, it offers that needed care to nourish and cherish, cherish, cherish it. I mean, it's those, it's those ideas of, of pouring into, to helping it grow. And lastly, it's an unbreakable love that's given for us there. And again, it's unbreakable love because it's just as Christ loved the church, pictured in that and reflected in that. And then men, lastly, out of verses 32 and 33, we're given the reason for loving our wives. The reason for loving our wives is because of Christ and his love for the church. You know, it quotes from Genesis here in verse 31, saying a a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then it uses a phrase, this is a great mystery. This is a great mystery is not, um, yeah, that's a mysterious thing that a dude would fall in love with a girl and they'd go off and get married. I tell you, that's just a mystery. Now, you might see some couples and go, how in the world are they together? Okay, all right? (laughs) That is a great mystery, okay? You might sit there and wonder that. But that's not what the mystery is. If you were here two weeks ago when Pastor Adam preached from Ephesians chapter three, you know that a mystery is something that was, that it was covered or hidden that is now disclosed, it's brought to light. The, the mystery here is not that a guy would wanna marry a woman or a woman would wanna marry, would wanna marry a guy, okay? The mystery here is that Christ is the emblem of the church and Christ's relationship with the church is the exact same. And it's modeled and meant to be modeled in our marriages. And so the reason we love our wives is because Christ loved the church. The gospel comes to light and intersects right with the relationship that we have with one another. Verse 33 begins with that word, nevertheless, okay? Don't forget this. (laughs) That's what Paul is saying. Don't forget this. What? That you love your wife, even as you love yourself, and wives reverence your husbands, and, that, and that's what he does not want you to walk away with without forgetting. Then he turns the page here, and he goes to kids and parents, and he parks on this relationship of the family that builds on the roles and the relationship of parents and children. 
And again, this second grouping illustrates, again, the exact same principle of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another. And we begin with kids here, and we're given the verse that I think is on the top five of what we have our kids memorize when they're children, okay? It's at least the first part of verse number six, chapter, verse six, chapter six, verse number one. We want our kids to memorize this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, okay? All right. We want them to get that one, at least in the top five, okay? All right? All right, you got John 3, 16, you know, maybe Romans 5, 8, and then maybe Ephesians 6, 1. You know, you want to get it in there uh, so they understand. Well, what is this obedience? Well, it's a, the exact same obedience that Christ symbolized for us when he gave himself for the church. When Christ, as in Philippians 2 told us, made himself obedient to the Father's will. I just got finished preaching through the Gospel of John. And how many times in the Gospel of John does, does Jesus show up as saying, look, I'll do the Father's will, the Father's will. I'm here to do the Father's will over and over and over again, obeying the will of the Father. And so kids, I would just ask you here, okay? What's your reason for obeying your parents? Number one, it's not to make your parents look better. Number two, it's not to make you look better. Number three, it's not because just has to be done, okay? Or the just I so. You obey your parents, watch this as it says here, in the Lord. In the Lord. You obey them in the Lord. Because what? Christ is embodied in the family and your obedience is reflective of your relationship with the Lord. It's just like I said a moment ago, the gospel goes a long way. When our kids have come to know Christ as their savior, we can play to that, why? Because Christ is their reason for obeying their parents. Now listen, parents, we're given instruction as well. Our kids are given the instruction, reflective of the 10 commandments, honor your father and mother, given with a promise that your days will be long on earth. My great grandma Field lived to be 96 years old, and don't take this as a habit in your life, but she smoked like three packs of cigarettes a day, okay? And I'm, I'm not saying that's, that's it, but one time my brother and I were sitting with her, we were like, how did you get so old and smoke so much? You know, um, you know we were trying to piece it all together, you know? Um, and she said, I obeyed my parents. <laughs> that was her answer. She's like, I obeyed my parents. <laughs> You know, and even smoking couldn't take that away. And, you know, I'm just, again, I'm not trying to say take it up as your habit, okay, all right? I'm just being real with you, okay? But it's a, comes with a promise. The promise is a blessing, and a blessing is a long life in Christ, reflected in the Ten Commandments as well. Parents, we're given instruction as well, and our instruction is twofold. It's in verse 4, a positive and a negative. The positive is what? Is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The negative is don't provoke your children to wrath. There's a big question as to what this provoke your children to wrath to do. It doesn't mean that we don't ever tell our kids no, okay? Um, but I, coming from Southwest Iowa, where we have a lot of ranchers on our, in our church and a lot of guys who work with horses and ride horses, and believe me, okay, I'm, I'm a city guy that got dropped in a country town, okay? I'm not country when it wasn't cool. I'm, I'm just... I'm in the country and I'm non-cool, okay, all right? It's just that, that's what it is. I, I mean, I'm just all adopted into it. I know when they're having a, when you get a good laugh, because then they invite David to come out and ride a horse, okay, all right? Because it always looks fun when, when I'm out there trying to be country and I'm not cool, okay, all right? And, and these guys who have these horses, they'll get these wild horses and they'll break them so that they can saddle them, ride them, and, and, and use them to work the fields and use them to work the cattle. 
And eventually that horse's spirit has to break to be submissive to its rider, to submissive to its owner. And men and women, when we treat our children like a horse-breaking scenario, and we break their spirit, that's what this verse is saying we should not do. When we crush their spirit. So words like, why can't you be more like your sister? Or why can't you be more like your brother? Or you never do anything right. Why don't you listen to me? You know, and all those kind of crass sayings, they don't go the value of what scripture has told us here. We don't wanna break their spirit. Instead, we wanna what? Build them up in the nurture and admonition. Watch it, okay? Our children will obey their parents in, in, as unto the Lord, and we bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If my wife was able to give a quick testimony today, she would tell you that one of the valuable things of parenting is taking scripture and intersecting it into parenting at every opportunity. Speak the word in parenting at every opportunity. And they may be really, really tiny and not be able to put it all together, but speak it to them and put it in every opportunity. And folks, if we follow this model, if we put this model together and we follow this model that Christ has given to us, what we end up with is a design that actually builds a stronger marriage and builds a stronger family, not because we're super great people at it. I mean, listen, I, I actually told Pastor Adam, I mean, you must be at the bottom of the barrel if you're asking me to come and talk about the family. I mean, because I'm 50 years old, I have a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old, 26-year-old marriage, and I'm still working on this. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to piece stuff together. You know, Dominic and Amanda were asking us questions last night at dinner, and we got back to our hotel room, and I was like, man, I, I, I wish I would have prepared for that, you know? Um, because they, they ask some really valuable questions, and I'm just telling you, it's worth the struggle because it's all about Christ and what Christ did. Christ came, he gave himself on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, and there's no other assurance you're gonna have in this life, even as we just sang, other than that blessed assurance that Christ gave to us. The testimony that really impacted my life here is the testimony of a guy named Brian Sumner. And you might not know who Brian Sumner is. He's a professional skateboarder and he's since gone on to, into ministry and left skateboarding behind um, in a sense of uh, skating with Tony Hawk and, and birdhouse skateboarding. Um, I have a short video clip here that I'd like you to watch of his testimony of how his marriage fell apart and how it came back together and how God blessed in that. This is from the I Am Second series. If you've seen it before, hopefully it can be a blessing to you here again. Let's go ahead and go to that video, guys, and then we'll go ahead and go to our closing song. I tell people there's a lot of times in my life that I fell in love, but I definitely fell in love with skating. I mean, it defined me. Looking at the side of a skateboard and the plywood were there trucks and bullet wheels, the way the, the bearings rotated. I just knew, I just was like, this is it. Kids in school would say, if you had to throw one thing off a, a bridge, would it be a girlfriend or would it be a skateboard? And I'd be like, she'd be swimming. And as a schoolboy, I got into a lot of fights. I didn't have a clue what life was about, especially growing up in Liverpool. I mean, it's a rough place. You get into a lot of fights. You deal with everything with your fists. You will never walk alone. That's the, the famous song from there. It's a football song, You Will Never Walk Alone. But I guess at 13, at 15, I did feel like I walked alone. I did feel like I was separate from anyone. I just existed. And the skating just woke that up inside of me. That became the idol for me. 
within two or three years I was riding for, you know, getting flowed product at least from some of the biggest sponsors in the world at the time. I visited New Jersey and I, I mean, the bagels and the, the smell of the candy store, just the caramellos and the slurpees and the, the different accents and the freeway sign. I just fell in love. And then coming across to California to ride sidewalks that were smooth and to grind curbs that were painted red and for the cops not to care back then. And especially to be riding for Tony Hawk's company. I just was thinking, is this it? Is this who I am? Am I, yeah, I'm this skater, but am I now this person that's fulfilling this dream? Am I gonna matter? Is it gonna be relevant? The lifestyle of a pro for me at the time, it was daily skating, barbecue after party, after jacuzzi, after video premiere, running around roaming, being on tour. You know, you're out drinking everyone. People are starting to get messed up on this and on that. The chaos in my life came, for me, it always went back to fighting, beginning to get into some of the chaos that would later set a path for me. I fell in love at 13 with skateboarding, and at 19, I fell in love with my wife. So I figured, you know what, here's a girl, we're falling in love. We've been together about four months. Why wouldn't we just jump in a car right now, drive off to Vegas, and get married at the first little chapel that we see? And that's what we did. Life's perfect. Hey, we're driving out to Vegas six hours away. There's the little white chapel right there. And though it wasn't Elvis that married us, there was a man who shared and he spoke out of Corinthians and he told us about love and we were in love. But did we really know love? Then you get pregnant. And then hormones start changing. And then the focus of Brian from Tracy becomes she's pregnant. And then the focus of Brian is, where's my attention? And so before long, there you are, and you're questioning it, and you're beginning to say stupid things to one another. She has the baby, her hormones go back to normal, there's Brian adjusting as the dad, and now she wants the attention. Very selfish. You're beginning to say wicked things to one another, mean things to one another, things that you don't even believe because you're so stupid. I keep going back to everything's about you. We didn't feel a connection. We were jealous. Maybe you're not the one. Within a year and a half having our son, we're fighting like crazy. Well, maybe we should get divorced. Fine, I'll get divorced. You're pushing yourself into a corner and punching holes through walls, holes through windows, shouting and spitting and saying foul words to this woman that I love. Why aren't I happy? There's money in the bank, there's cars. Why aren't I satisfied? There's houses, there's things going on. Does it satisfy me? No, I had enough fun and it wasn't fun anymore. Now I'm going to downtown and people getting in my face and that's when I began to get into more fights. That's when I got in trouble with the police. I don't care if I live, I'm getting suicidal. There I am, arrested, messing with my probation, and then I have community service, and I'm going through the list, I'm looking all these lists, community service, boom, 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 boom. Christian thrift store. Christian thrift store? So I can go to a thrift store and get these cool little polo shirts or these plaid tops, and they're Christians. They're those crazy people that pray to a God they don't see, and they, want your money, and some of those priests even mess with kids, like, man, I'm going there anyway, this is gonna be interesting. The first day I walk in, I saw the light by Hank Williams is playing. I'm hearing worship. I walk over to the bookshelf, and the first book I pick up is The Case for Christ. I go to the guy at the front, hey, can I read this book? And I remember just saying, you know what, God, whoever you are, I'm gonna prove that you're not real. And in that Christian thrift store, it's 
funny as it sounds, you would get extra credit by going to the church on a Wednesday and cooking fries for all the people and helping out. So there's Brian who's going into the church, hearing the messages, hearing sermons on tithing and thinking, really? Reading the Bible, beginning to see that this God in the Bible wants to have a relationship with me, that there's some kind of answer being formed here. I realized that as I was trying to prove God wasn't real, through his scripture, he was speaking to me. I wanted it to be filled, I wanted to meet, I wanted to know, is this Jesus alive? Is he who I can't see gonna change my life? Is he really who he says he is? Through reading the scripture, through getting to know what the Bible says, I realized this. I realized that the world changed when a man called Jesus Christ lived. Now I'm beginning to see that you do have a plan, a will for my life, and you do want me to be married to this woman, and you do have the answer to everything. And through that process, I got to a place where I said, but God, I've never met you, and I won't follow something that's fake. I need to meet you. And I cried out and said, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe in your name. I've prayed the sinner's prayer, but I've never met you, and I need to. And as I cried out to God that night, I felt in an instant, the craziest thing I could ever say in life. I felt the presence of God enter that room and one instant it was like sitting here right now, the lights go on. That was it. I can't believe this is real. Beginning to cry. I can't believe this is real. I can't believe people don't know this is real. Instantly, I've got to tell people. I've got to share. And I began to pray and cry out to God. And this was worship. Jesus Christ showed up that night and changed my life. It's transformed everything about me. And today, I'm remarried to that woman. My son's nine. My baby girl is two and a half. And she's at home today, pregnant with my third child. It isn't the same. There's nothing that has me. I go around the world sharing the gospel. There is an angry Brian. I love on people, or suicidal Brian, or divorced Brian. I'm a deacon at the church. I go places preaching because Jesus Christ made himself known to me that night, and he forgave my sin. Am I still angry? That is a crazy question. I'm not, I'm not angry. I am by no means the same person. Put it in perspective, I'm really second. And Christ is first. His word is first. His love is first. His blood is first. And now for me, I'm second. And I enjoy it. That's who I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be second. My name is Brian Sumner, and I am second. That's our word of prayer.